We're sitting on the most perfect beach in the world, and all we can think about is where. Where can I hook up my quantum? Digital pen part at work. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS report. So should we send it to first? Just a couple of people. The question is, who are they going to send it to? This podcast is brought to you by Search Engine Journal, and you're listening to Marketing Nerds. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Marketing Nerds. I'm Brent Satoris, and I'm joined today by Eric Siegel, founder of Predictive Analytics World, which is a leading conference series, and also author of the award-winning book, Predictive Analytics. Eric, it's uh, really great to have you on the show, and I'm looking forward to kind of jumping into some of the specifics on uh, predictive analytics. Great. Great to be here. Thanks, Brent. So one of the things I want to jump into right off the bat is I, I, I feel like this is a phrase that a lot of people hear right now. It's popping up, you know, kind of left and right about predictive analytics. But I think that a lot of people don't necessarily understand what that means. Can you give us just kind of a starting point on what predictive analytics is for you? Sure. I agree. I think that it's not often uh, defined clearly, but it, it, it's quite simple. It's learning from data to make predictions. And in the case of marketing, it's predicting response, predicting churn, or any other kind of consumer behavior that would help uh, target marketing efforts. So it, it, it's a direct way to decide per individual prospect or customer whether to contact or not, or which offer to contact with, whether to offer a retention offer, this kind of thing. So predictive analytics is, is, is quite straightforward and specific to define, which actually stands in stark contrast to the more general uh, hype we hear about data science and big data, which are both umbrella terms refer to a culture of doing smart things with data, but don't actually allude to any specific uh, method or technology. And I mean, you speak to the element of the fact that it's, you know, a marketing tactic, it's a, it's a marketing, you know, uh, you know, prediction, but um, from, from, you know, really looking through kind of some of the stuff that you've written in your book, it really doesn't, is, isn't limited to just that, right? I mean, there's a lot of other fields that are really benefiting from this type of, you know, analysis right now, correct? Absolutely. In fact, uh, so the subtitle, start with the subtitle of, of the book, it's predictive analytics and the subtitle, the power to predict who will click, buy, lie, or die. That, that's sort of an informal <laughs> definition of the field and also alludes, you know, click, buy, lie, die, all the different areas, very much so across government, healthcare, law enforcement, um, even uh, political campaigns, which are really ultimately the most visible marketing campaigns, at least as far as the presidential campaigns uh, that exist. And, and you also make a, a byline in there that talks a little bit about, you know, some of the reasons why the government agencies, specifically one of the hot topics has been the NSA over the last couple of years. Um, and, and you kind of allude to some of these different areas. Is there any kind of example you could give of how these government agencies or how they're actually utilizing some of this? Well, sure. Um, the most widely publicized use of the government is in fraud detection, which is very much in parallel also to the law enforcement Angle. Now, law enforcement, we're hearing more and more from police precincts around the U.S. doing predictive policing. Um, and we have every reason to surmise that the National Security Administration also used predictive analytics to triage the, you know, the hunt for terrorism suspects. So in all those cases, fraud, law enforcement, terrorism, you're trying to find needles in the haystack. You're trying to find the anomalous individuals, the unusual cases that are actual perpetrators 
or connected to crime in some way, the, the individuals that are worth spending time on. So just like in marketing, it's the same core technology and it's the same value proposition. It's about triaging and targeting resources en masse over millions of cases. Is it worth spending $2 uh, contacting this customer in marketing? Is it worth expending the cost of a retention discount to try to keep this customer because we believe they're at risk of leaving? Is it worth expending the time of an auditor to consider this individual transaction that may be more likely than average to be fraudulent? And is this individual likely to commit a crime again or should we keep them in prison longer? Which is actually one of the ways predictive analytics is used called recidivism prediction. And it, so these predictive models actually help determine how long people stay in prison. That's fascinating. But I mean, doesn't it kind of, it kind of makes me wonder, like, these are a lot of big decisions that are being made, uh, you know, off of data. And from, a, you know, kind of somebody who's not, you know, deep into this, kind of makes me concerned of the false positives. Is this something that there's a, a catch system on? Or is it still just kind of in the testing phase? Or are organizations really implementing, you know, decisions based on this data currently? I mean, you're, you're asking the most important question. And yeah, there is a catch system, which is that in the case of law enforcement and even fraud detection, it, it's not decision automation, it's decision support. So a judge is making a sentencing decision or a parole board deciding whether to release an inmate is not depending on the machine. They're using the machine's input, the output of a predictive model, the probability score that the, the machine derives. They're using that as one of whatever ad hoc considerations they already use even before technology existed to render a judgment about the individual. On the other hand, despite the fact that it's just supporting a human decision, there of course will naturally be cases where the machine's uh, output that's taken into consideration is a determining factor. And for some of those cases, the machine will be wrong. So. On the one hand, you know, scientifically, we're potentially improving accuracy on average of these human judgments, but at the same time, by virtue of, of bringing that into the system, that means machines can now commit injustice. So I think it's easy for most of our listeners to understand when it comes down to life and death, when it comes down to freedom or incarceration, when it comes down to some of these big impact decisions that predictive analytics will have some sort of, you know, precautionary system in place, right? It'll be more supportive. But, I mean, if, if we know anything about marketers, um, you know, the majority are looking for a shortcut every step of the way, um, especially when it comes to online marketing. Um, do you feel like that applies and it should apply the same to people that are using this technique in marketing? I mean, is there, should it be a support mechanism with somebody that's taking this data and then acting on it? Or do you feel like there's areas in marketing where automation is going to be okay and, and actually more prudent? The, the latter, definitely automation is okay. The ethical considerations aren't nearly as high. The false positive means you've just wasted $2 sending a brochure. That's what you're already doing in mass marketing. It's a sure. lot game. It's a numbers game. Um, your false positives are the name of the game, it's, uh, not literally. But in marketing, it's decision automation is the standard way predictive models are used. Because if you have a list of a million customers or prospects and you're just making a million yes-no decisions to contact or not to contact, for example, that is the question like, like Hamlet and Shakespeare. Um, 
deciding whether to contact with a, an acquisition or sales offer, a brochure, whatever it is, or extend a retention offer. These decisions are fully automated. Now, on the other hand, in the marketing arena, there are places where ethics comes back. And the most poignant and well-known example is when retailer Target predicted which individual customers were pregnant um, in order to target uh, marketing-related. That was actually Target, wasn't it? It was It was Target, yes. That's yes. the retailer Target, yep. Yeah, I remember that campaign. It was very interesting. Uh, I actually thought, I know there was some, some elements there that kind of came out negative, but I mean, and I think that's why they had to stop doing it, but I thought it was pretty genius, uh, you know, the, the way that they were looking at that data and the way they were positioning the, the, the products that they would showcase. It's kind of a, a sad side that there was a lot of people that didn't want people to know. Uh, I think that's what also happened with Facebook when they started doing the uh, Netflix, you know, you just rented this movie and people had public updates that were going out. And I think uh, some uh, risky movies started getting published and, and people got kind of squirrely about that. Yeah. So, um, and in fact, Netflix itself, um, you know, predicts which movie you're likely to to rate highly. Otherwise, that is to say that you're going to like the movie, in order to determine the recommendations um, of of movies. Um, and they enhanced that capability um, with a public contest where they released a large amount of data and allowed anybody who wanted to try to make a better predictive model. Um, and they awarded a $1 million prize. This is several, several years ago. But it turned out that from the publicly released data, even though it was cleansed and no longer, you know, t you know didn't include the, the name or identifier of the individual movie watcher, there was a way for some records comparing to what people had done with ratings on the Internet Movie Database to determine, oh, well, this belongs to John Smith, and then ascertain things that John Smith would not necessarily want publicly as far as the full suite of movies that he himself had viewed and, and rated. That seems like something we're going to have to deal with in some sense, you know, from now forward. I mean, there's just the, the, the ability, uh, you know, I was discussing with a, an individual, Robert Hansen, who's, um, you know, one of the top hackers in the world right now. And he was talking about the ability, you know, the speed at which that they can database and, and, and correlate data allows them to make connections so much faster, like where it would take months and months and months. It takes minutes these days. And, and as that continues to go forward, it seems that there can be some consequences to this. Do you um, have you heard of the China program that's coming, where they're doing the kind of like the 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 citizen score, where individuals that do things that are positive towards the government and the state of you know society end up getting a positive increase in their score, and if they do something like watch pornography or you know visit a page that's against kind of the government's you know current direction, they get a negative score, and then that score actually is like our credit score, where it improves their opportunity of getting jobs and getting loans and stuff like that, and they're about to start testing that in China. Um, it really feels kind of creepy and. I, I, and I'm kind of curious if you have any thoughts on that. Wow, no, I had not heard about this uh, advent of turn of events in China, and I think that that's I'm certainly going to read up on it. I think that that's exactly the kind of case scenario that it, that does inform and ignite the discussion, um, and it's directly parallel to things that do take place here in the United States. Uh, one is going back, let's say, to the NSA. Um, in law enforcement in general, 
what this means, what this practice means is just like all the customers in your database for marketing, we've got all the citizens and we're going to score each and every one of them because, you know, this searching for a needle in a haystack problem that is the very essence of law enforcement means, well, we want to improve the effectiveness of the time of those making, uh, making the investigations. We want to essentially shrink the haystack. Now, it's still going to be needle in a haystack, but if the pile of individuals that are considered or looked at by, uh, by law enforcement agents and, and law enforcement experts uh, is more statistically adept, you know, it contains a, a higher percentage of worthy persons of interest, um, then that, that's going to make the overall hunt potentially a multiplier times more effective. The time spent, you know, if you're, same thing with auditing fraud. If I'm looking at this huge pile of, of transactions, which ones might actually be fraud and which are legitimate, um, and I'm an auditor, there's only so many hours in the day. It's exactly the same thing for a law enforcement agent. And if we can use the best of science and leverage this massive amount of data we have from which to learn, and that's what this technology does for all these applications we're talking about. It learns from the data, this historical experience, things that have happened, to put odds on which are positive and which are negative cases. So the value proposition is unquestionable. It will help law enforcement do a better job in this numbers game over mass scale operations. Um, but it does mean that everybody gets a score put on their head, just like Hewlett Packard and Google and lots of large organizations score each individual employee. What are the chances this employee is going to quit their job and in some cases deliver that predictive score to the manager, supervisor of the individual? So you're getting a number put on your head. It, it may not be warranted for individual cases. It's not about accuracy or precision, actually. It's about guess. It's about scoring people better than guessing so the numbers games played more effectively so that law enforcement can spend their time uh, in a more effective manner. Um, now, the, from what you just said about what they're doing in China, that may be a bit different because it may be that this is something available to, to larger bodies in the government. Um, oh, this is actually going to be public for everyone. They actually want to put pressure <laughs> yeah, well, on the individuals. That's very, that's very different. Um, um, but even if it weren't public, another major difference there of what you're describing in China is that it sounds like it's meant to be a catch-all, kind of like w what we have here with the credit score. Um, you know, a credit score is used in many different ways. Could even be used not for a financial decision, but a, a car driving insurance risk decision. Mm -hmm. It turns out to be very telling, and it's sort of, it sort of can either bolster you or besmirch your name. Um, what you're describing in China would be this would be analogous, but even a lot broader as far as is this sort of a positive contributor to society or not. So that kind of a polar, polarizing public, uh, very much different, on the other hand, worth reflecting upon and comparing to what we do here in the U.S. because those some of the concerns that you'd have around what they're doing in China uh, could still be reflected even if it's a more limited scope. Yes, even, even from like a third-party perspective, so much data is out there. I mean, people start doing correlation with, you know, voting records and other data. They can start pooling people and start, you know, really kind of, it can get a little bit concerning, but it can also be extremely valuable, you know. Um, it, I mean, that's the thing is that in general, it's, it's, it's value-driven. 
Um, so that is to say that where there are concerns, uh, the solution is not let's just turn this thing off. So there's somewhat of a heated battle. Uh, and people, as you did a moment ago, threw around the word creepy a great deal. But I'm, my concern is that the word creepy doesn't help the discussion because what we need to do is – it's a subjective concept or impression that you know people, consumers may have about the data on them and how it might be used. But what we need to do is identify more precisely where civil liberties may actually be infringed upon um, – and sort of consider it, consider it that that how do how can we tap the, the value and improve you know the return on investment the effectiveness of um, law enforcement and fraud detection schemes and such how do we balance that against where there may specifically be civil liberties so going back for example to the um, target predicting who's pregnant. Um, in that case, you know, we're accustomed to a healthcare establishment having very sensitive data about us. But if suddenly it's possible for a marketing department at a corporation to ascertain that you're pregnant, even though you never volunteered that information, then all of a sudden they're holding this data that we're, you know, not we're not comfortable with it. But more than it being creepy, it's that um, this data it could have a very meaningful impact on your life if it's true that you're pregnant and that gets disclosed prematurely to the wrong parties such as an sure. employer or, or whatever it is. Um, so, you know, do we have assurances that they understand what it is that they've created? They've kind of created a monster. Normally a marketing department would literally just predict your marketing behavior, not a more general scope about your life such as pregnancy. Sure. But – there's value there because if you are pregnant, that's um, it's very telling of all kinds of consumer buying behavior that you're likely to exhibit. And they do a lot of the same thing for like rehab and for divorce lawyers and things like that. They look for patterns in people's lives, right? Like things that people like. I know that uh, I have one colleague that I know that does a lot of you know psychographic targeting, and they'll they'll get really creative when they're looking at you know selling something as to who who would be the ideal person that would have a need for this, and then start targeting groups of people based on that. Right. So, um, I mean, I think you're hitting the nail on the head because they may be dealing with things that are related to your, your personal life um, that you as a consumer may not really want to be disclosing. Um, so there's a lot of sensitivity around this. Um, on the other hand, if data is publicly available or it's reasonable to consider an organization has the data and that they can infer from it, you know, if I glance into your shopping cart as we walk down the aisle of a store and, um, and I kind of see a few lotions and, and vitamins and I think, oh, maybe you're pregnant, uh, did I just break a law or break your trust, right? So this, this act of inference, uh, the ability to make an, a d deduction, uh, wh when does that suddenly become unethical? Yeah. That thin line. I have a question for you. So bringing this back to marketing a little bit, um, you absolutely can kind of get a sense for how this could be valuable. But I have two kind of questions that are, 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 are unexplained in this whole process. One, how does it actually apply? 
Like, do you have, do you, you know, do you take, you know, predictive analytics as a platform that you, you know, tie in data sets from? So as a company, if I'm an insurance company or something, I have a ton of data and I want to tie it in. I, is, is this a tactic that I use or is there like a software? Is it a company that you use to kind of uh, uh, get that data out of, you know, get the, the decisions out of that data? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of software solutions that embody what are a fairly standardized public set of methods. And the methods are things that are called decision trees, neural networks, log linear regression. Um, log linear regression, for example, used for targeting direct mail for decades now. Um, so, you know, we're now using, now we now refer to that as one example of predictive analytics, where predictive analytics is is a broader class of using that type of technology uh, across all different kinds of sectors, private and public sectors. Um, but yeah, you got to get your data together and then use some software tool. There's a there's a very popular free software tool called R, like Roger. There's a uh, a lot of other less popular free tools, and then there's a great number and a constantly increasing number of analytics software vendors that provide tools. But the um, in fact, the most uh, daunting and um, time-consuming part of a project is actually getting your data prepared so that those software tools sure. can, can use it. And what that really means is taking the data you have already today, which is extremely valuable um, because it's predictive. I mean, the big data um, hype really is about, well, it's big excitement because the value is this data is super predictive. It has predictive um, patterns. You just need to derive them. So if you, whatever the form of your data today across tables and, you know, silo databases and whatever, you need to pull it together so that you've essentially got a row of data for each individual historical case. So you might have a row of data that corresponds to a customer, everything you know about the customer, and then whether they did or did not respond to the last marketing offer, for example. Something that you would have liked to predict in the past at some point, but now you don't need to predict it. It already happened, and it's an example from which to learn. It's a learning case. And you need to pull the data together, and getting that data, kind of cleaning it up and getting into a meaningful form that represents that, usually it's one row per example. It's quite simple. Um, but it's a simple concept. doesn't mean it's easy to get your data cleanly sure. into that format. And that ends up being 80% of the, of the technical project. The actual rocket science, the, the core analytic process of learning from that data, um, although it needs expertise to use that type of software tool usually, um, is not nearly as um, intense or as important a part of the project as getting the data ready for it in the first place. So if I was a webmaster and I'm like, I'm thinking about my website right now, I'm thinking, you know, I, I might not have some of this data, but what what can be gleaned from like Google Analytics? Is there things that I can export from Google Analytics that would be benefit? I mean, taking it down to the most basic element for somebody to be able to use this. Can a webmaster take data from, you know, analytics and be able to find useful elements of it to take action on? Yes, absolutely. And, and pulling things out of web analytics solutions um, and merging it with other data is common practice, you know, especially if you've authenticated. So in general, you know, what do you, whatever you're trying to predict, whether it's this customer is going to cancel or or they will respond to this offer, they're going to upsell, whatever it is. Um, there's so many different 
types of demographic and behavioral data, including what they did on your website, that could tip the balance and inform those odds. So you want to pull together whatever might be available um, and let the system, the analytics procedure, determine what's most predictive and how to use those different elements or, or variables. So, um, so for example, a, a major telecommunications company in the United States, they're trying to predict you know, who's going to cancel their cell phone subscription. It turned out that if you were observed going on the website, logging in and, and checking out to remind yourself when your current contractual obligation is up for renewal – that's a big key indicator that you're more likely to cancel because you're thinking, oh, when am I free to cancel? Um, that's just one little example. There's so many things that you do online. So, yeah, you do want to pull in that data if possible. And is there is there any companies out there that are doing kind of like preparing that for you? Because, like, you know, I get most of this, but if I was to look at – saying, okay, I can get some data from analytics, I can get some data from my website, I can get some data from my mailing list. Is there anybody that puts together this, this, that first 80%? That's a great question. In general, the data aggregation and preparation uh, phase is very much specialized for your business. So there's not usually a catch-all solution off the shelf that you buy and it kind of does it for you. It depends very much on the nature of your business, the nature of the databases, and and historically how that data came to be and what it means. Um, so because of that, typically, although the prepping of the data itself is not rocket science, um, it can be elusive exactly how to define that project and typically it's very valuable to get experienced consultants in on, on that phase and determining that even if most of the actual database programming or the data manipulation steps are taken internally by people you already have on staff. So, you know, there's a great number of analytics service providers and consultants. If anyone wants a referral, I've got a lot of colleagues who do this stuff all the time, and I'd be glad to provide a referral. Um, so you do you do the predictive analytics world, which is the you know like you had mentioned the leading conference series you know in this space. Um, do you feel like is that mostly high level, or could a company who's listening in this and saying, "Look, I need to get into this. I need to get more involved in this." Would it behoove them to go to that conference, and can they learn what they need to learn from that conference? Great question. Yeah, that's the whole point of the conference is to help people get, either get started or continue to improve. Um, the conference is a healthy mix between experienced hands-on practitioners and newcomers and sort of management level people involved in the project. And in fact, there's at least two tracks for each event uh, corresponding to those two, two different levels. Plus, there are training workshops, including, for example, I myself have a, an overview intro five-and-a-half-hour online video-based uh, workshop that many people um, participate in and view online before attending the conference or my book uh, is a good way to ramp up. So, you know, you want to ramp up a bit before you actually go to the main two-day conference itself uh, several times a year, um, San Francisco, April, June in Chicago, New York in October, and two in Europe. Um, so that you can check all that out on predictiveanalyticsworld.com. Each of these have these training workshops and so um, – I think it is really a good place to sort of learn the latest state of the art and get started. So I, one last question. I have time for just one more quick question. That's that, you know, when, when you get into any field like this, there's, there's fluff and there's shortcuts and there's what you really need to know. And, and if, if somebody was going into this field, um, where do they really need to spend the initial time? Like what would, you, what would you say is the first couple steps for somebody to get a good, you know, jump into this space? 
Um, you know, as far as sort of starting to self-train and depending on what your budget is for training, you know, there is the workshop and, and the book that I just mentioned, plenty of other online resources. We actually have a web page on the Predictive Analytics World um, website called the Predictive Analytics Guide. You can get there by going to the website predictiveanalyticsworld.com. Would you, would you say that it's like that uh, first 80% is like, you know, where people really need to spend the time learning? Uh, you know, is there parts of that? Is it like you know, understanding, you know, the different formats of data? Is it, you know, what would you say is the area that you think is probably the most important to focus on initially? Oh, okay. Great question. Yeah. Um, you know, rather than the core technology, um, ironically, the first thing to understand is what it means to define your objective on the business level. Um, so what is it you want to improve with a predictive model? And this is this is particularly important today with all the hype around big data and data science where people are saying the data is really valuable. you got to get this stuff going. You better do it. All your competitors are doing it. You better hustle your bustle because this is the way the world is moving. But none of that describes the purpose or value or, or how to get started. Exactly. In the case of predictive modeling, you need to say, well, what am I going to do? For example, I'm going to improve this marketing campaign. I'm going to improve my best – my my retention offers. So let's take retention, for example. Well, the best way to streamline retention is to target those at risk of leaving. That is to say, predictively model who's most likely to cancel or defect. Um, so you need to think about what data you have of historical customers who, who did turn out to cancel and others that did not. You need both positive and negative examples in your data from which to learn. So you need to define how am I going to – you start with this carrot at the end of the stick. How am I going to use these predictive scores? What's the operation such as the targeting of retention offers that I'm going to improve by way of the predictive scores? To that end, what exactly do I need to predict? And deciding to predict who's going to cancel is still not quite specific enough enough because it has to be, well, which customer who's been tenured for this long is going to definitely cancel explicitly within a two-month window or something like that. You need to define it extremely precisely. Make sure you've got the right data that represents both positive and negative examples of that. Um, so you need to get organizational buy-in that I'm going to predict this, I'm going to model this, and we're going to use the predictions to change our existing operations, such as who receives these retention discounts in this particular way using these scores. And you need to get that buy-in. That needs to be the plan from the get-go. So it's a very much not just a technology process, but as an organizational process, you're kind of um, you're kind of improving this organizational operations. It's no longer business as usual, and you're changing those operations with the predictions. It's quite fascinating, and it also kind of adds into the idea that we finally hit a point in online marketing where understanding what you're trying to do is important. <laughs> it's like it seemed like for yeah. social for so long it was like you got to have a Facebook page you got to have a Twitter page and then people start saying well, like well why why right. do I need that page like you know you got to have big data but why so it, it's nice to see that you know as these things are picking up the but why question is is really strong um what you know anybody who's looking to kind of continue to follow you wants to continue to get your updates Twitter Facebook whatever uh can you give us a couple places that people can find you yeah, the, the, the central place would be the website for the book, and that's thepredictionbook.com. Thepredictionbook.com includes sort of links to all the stuff we've discussed today. Oh, nice. Uh, Eric, it's an absolute pleasure. I, I personally learned quite a bit, and I, now I'm really interested to learn more, uh, obviously. Uh, so I appreciate you joining us and sharing some of your insight, and uh, thanks for joining the, the podcast in general. Great. Thank you very much, Brent. Cheers. 
This Marketing Nerds podcast has been brought to you by Search Engine Journal. For more news, interviews, and how-to guides from marketing experts from around the world, visit us at searchenginejournal.com.